going to find out what Noah knows about the Texas boys, Texas State, coming into Bridgeport Stadium this weekend after JMU with a big come-from-behind win at Appalachian State. I'm Shane Metlin, here as I allude to with Noah Fleischman, uh, talking about JMU sports on the Purple and Bold podcast. Noah, what what do you know to start off with about Texas State coming in this week? What have you learned in your reporting this week about Texas State? Yeah, well, they're they're not you know they're under they're they haven't gotten a win on the road yet. Their offense is is kind of up and down, but their defense is good. So you know that's that's kind of the the quick synopsis on on Texas State. Good defense, shaky offense, and, and they haven't won on the road yet. Yeah. Well, speaking about good defense, we will we'll, we'll do a recap of what we saw down in Boone on Saturday, with the exception of the second quarter when Appalachian State put all up all twenty eight of their points. Jamie's defense once again looked really good. Defensive line got a lot of pressure, really from the late second quarter on. Got a lot of pressure on uh, Chase Bryce. <clears throat> disrupted everything App State wanted to do offensively. Once again, shut down the running game. Just how impressive has JMU's defense as a whole, but the front seven in particular, been so far? Yeah, I mean, they've been, they've been really good. I mean, obviously, it was 14 of those 28 came from off turnovers, so short field. The defense kind of, you know, didn't have a whole lot of luck on that, but... It is what it is, but yeah, they. I mean, they held them to sixty-three rushing yards, including six in the second half. Six, six rushing yards in the second half, which is insane for a team that entered averaging two hundred or more. So, obviously, the front seven's gotten their job done. They're the best rushing defense in the in the country, number three overall defense in the country. So, Jamie's defense came to play at the FBS level. Yeah, um, who in particular has stood out to you defensively for JMU? I know. Kurt Signetti's singled out James Carpenter a couple times, and he, again, had a really good game. Beyond that, is there anybody who's kind of jumped out to you as like, wow, this guy's looking incredible so far? I mean, if you look at Saturday's game, Jamari Edwards was all over the backfield. He had a couple sacks, a couple tackles for a loss. I mean, he was a guy that was flying around from that interior next to Carpenter. And, you know, those two guys are firing all cylinders. That that front, I think that they really anchor that D-line, and then we've seen what we saw last weekend. But, yeah, he's been a big surprise. Obviously, didn't know where we were going to get from him. But so far, so good. It's, it's going well. Jamari Edwards, he's a gamer, right? I mean, we, we, we've talked about this a little bit. I don't know if he necessarily is the most impressive guy on the team in practice. Yeah. And then he comes out on game day and does what he does. And, you know, really is a real physical specimen. It's been interesting to see. Um, for as much as they didn't hype him up all that much until right before the season started, being a guy transferring in from Marshall with some expectations, at least from the fans' point of view, um, he, he's really performed during the games, especially here recently. Yeah, I mean, he has. He, he's played really well, finding the ball, getting to the ball carrier, and, and making stops. And I think that's what, you know, Jamie needs to see from him. Obviously, Kurt Signetti was asking, still this weekend, this on Tuesday, was asking about, you know, more consistency from him. But I think if we see a, an App State performance every week from him, I think Kurt Signetti will like that consistency. Yeah. Um, you know, really just up front, everybody did their job. Everybody was good. Um can't say enough about Jalen Walker his whole entire game but the interception he made that kind of fully tipped the scales in JMU's favor relatively late in the game that was just I mean you can go back in time and this could be a huge debate but at this point at this moment right now one of the biggest plays probably in JMU history to make that change the momentum get that win I, I say that and I've also said you know, on Saturday that JMU really kind of has to hope that 
a year from now, five years from now, one regular season victory against App State isn't as much of a standout type of thing as it is yeah. right now. But right now, it's huge for the program and getting the fan base and everybody just juiced up. And that play in particular, I think, is one of the biggest plays in a long time. Yeah, I mean, he talked about seeing it on film, and he, he saw the tendency. He read that play perfectly. He jumps up in the air. You see, you can watch it on film. He's kind of just covering space, jumps up in the air, grabs the ball, and takes off. And I think, you know, when you talk about watching film, and Chris Ignetti is a big film guy, I think he'll be happy to hear his, his players are taking that and using it. And obviously, Jalen saw something there on the re, on the RPO, and he was able to, to pick it off and, and run back the other way. Yeah, I've watched that play several times and from the various angles. And when they shot it from that north end zone, angle you can really see how quickly he knew exactly what the play was and it's not just that he recognized the rpo it's that he immediately knew it's rpo and this is what he does when he's going to pull it out and throw it and if he hadn't recognized it instantly he's not making that interception no he, he timed that jump it wasn't like he was just jumping up with the receiver he, he jumped in the middle of the field to grab yeah it. he wasn't in <laughs> coverage and you know he um he, he like i said if it wasn't for the instant recognition there he doesn't make that play and, you know, Jamie still has a good shot to win the game at that point. But that was the moment when, in the press box, that was the moment when I was like, oh, wow, they actually are going to come all the way back and probably win this game. Because, yeah, it was the first play of the next drive right after Jamie scored. And it was like, all right, well, let's see if App has a response. And then they didn't. And it's like, okay, the, sale, the wind is fully out of App sales. It's all in JMU. And, and they were able to capitalize a couple of plays later with a, with a rushing touchdown from Kalen Black. So, Jalen Walker, you know, big big turn of the tide there to take the lead there in the fourth quarter. And you, and you talked about how App State took advantage of the short fields in the first half where Jamie had a couple fumbles and other mistakes. Jamie really took advantage of that in the second half where we're talking about um, the, the somewhat controversial uh, kick-catch interference call ends up getting them into their own territory. They start with a really short field after the interception, and they capitalize on both of those. And both of those things really kind of helped, I think, uh, generate some momentum for JMU, too, because even scoring 29 straight points, the offense, it wasn't like a guarantee JMU was going to score every time they got the ball. And those short fields kind of really kind of helped change the momentum a lot, too, don't you think? I do. I think, you know, the kick-catch interference, people are, some app fans are pointing at it, but, I mean, JMU only got the ball, I think, at the 40 or 45 on that play. Maybe. They got it. They got it on the app 40 after, yeah. the, after the penalty. So, obviously, that's still 40 yards you got to go. And, obviously, you know, yeah. if, you're, if you're, you can't really complain too much about a, a thing that puts you in plus territory by that much. But, overall, yeah, they took took advantage of short fields. We, we've seen them do it against in the first few games when they get the short fields. They take advantage, and they did it again on, on Saturday. Not to mention, if they do – say they do make the call that JMU had blocked the guy into the return man – give App State the ball they're taking over close to midfield and the way their offense have been going they went backwards the two previous mm -hmm. possessions there's no, no no real at that point I don't know if you're expecting App State to get points out of that even if they do maybe it just delays the inevitable as far as you know they it certainly flipped the field position but to point to that as being you know a key turning point play I'm not exactly sure that's fair if you like look at the whole picture of it it was a debatable call um, Jamie be, definitely yeah. did push the guy into him. I still contend he might have been too close anyway, and they're going to have a hard time giving the ball back to App State in that sense. But it was close. It was debatable. I don't think that was necessarily 
any kind of turning point in the game, regardless of which way it went. No, I don't think so either. I mean, apps at the offense hadn't done anything in, this, in that half leading up to that point. They probably would have thrown out again, and, and then Jamie would have got the ball. Yeah, and it just might have been a case where then Jamie had to go 80 or 90 yards rather than Which they did it. 40. They did it on one of the drives in the second yeah. half. They went 92. So. The, the way the game was going, you know, um, I'm not sure that was the biggest play of the game by any, any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we, we talked Jamie's defense, how impressive they were. What most impressed you on offense from Jamie in the App State game before we move on to talking some Texas State? Well, one, the poise they played with, obviously, trailing 28-3. to three, you, you, Most teams could say, screw this and hang it up and, you know, just start bombing it down the field. They didn't. They ran the ball. They, they had short passing, and it, it marched down the field and got a touchdown out of it. And the other part was, you know, Totson Taylor played with a, a sore shoulder, and it, it was just throwing arm, and he said it was uncomfortable, but he just he did it, and he, he let it come back through a 37-yard pass to Terrence Green with a sore shoulder, so... I think Totson Taylor is he's kind of built different as people would say just based on the fact you can go through that much pain on your first drive of the game and you keep it going after that yeah and he's a quarterback who has been a running quarterback his entire life yeah and so you know he, he's probably built in some regard to knowing he's going to have to play through that kind of stuff because he's going to take some hits he's going to run the ball um still it sounds like it was pretty I mean, pretty painful and really, yeah. Late in the game, you saw him. He goes on that like 16, 18 yard run to get down to the two, and he he took he takes a pretty decent shot at the end of that run. Got popped right up and take and runs it again and takes another hit. So he, his body, at least he's you know six foot two, two twenty. So he he can take the hits. Yeah, and I think if you're a JMU fan, you probably have to like that. He's taking those hits when he has to, but he's also been pretty smart about getting yeah. down when he has the opportunity to and limiting how much of a beating he's taking in these games. And and the fact that Jamie's offensive line has done a good job so far this year, really, other than the first half on Saturday, um, has probably been a big help in, you know, keeping him uh keeping him as good as he's been this year. Yeah, you gotta keep him on his feet. But yeah, he gives up he he'll give himself up, but when he gets down near the goal line he's he's going for it. He does he's gonna take any hit possible. But yeah, Jamie's offensive line gave up a few sacks, Nick Tampton kind of you know got going there but then all of a sudden they made adjustments in the second half and, and you know moved down the field easily and, and didn't really have much from the, the defensive line really to bother them about yeah and you you talked about the response from Jamie especially the offense it, after really I mean other than the first drive it was a terrible start and even the first drive ended field goal. yeah not great they didn't they didn't get to the end zone after getting deep into App State territory um, and Kurt Signetti pointed out that I think it was their first 20 snaps, 10 to 11, what he called critical errors on those plays, play, mistakes that basically end the play, whether it's a, a pre-snap penalty, a missed assignment, a turnover, any of those things. And, you know, half the time to start the game, Jamie was doing that. And to me, the, that's the interesting thing about the response is like, as a team, you can either say, like, well, this is – we're having a terrible day. We're not doing anything right. Or they can look at it as if we start doing even close to what we're supposed to be doing here, we're as good as this team yeah. or maybe better. And that was the obvious response is that they were like, okay, if we clean up mistakes, we're going to be fine. And that proved to be true. It did. I mean, you you heard, you know, Todd Santayo talked about, you know, they missed some different protections on the line, some missed motion, different things, but they cleared it up at halftime and it came out firing. Yeah. Um, they, they really did. And then 
I don't know how much of it was like you know like I mentioned during the game it's the first time since they went to Fargo last December that they played in front of anything resembling a hostile crowd yep. and that's a rare thing last year it was basically just that playoff game um so how much did the noise things like that how much was that just like factoring into some of those mistakes and jumping jumping off sides of things early in the game i don't know how much the noise well they had a couple false starts early which i think was was impacted by that but they cleaned it up and i think especially once they got rolling in the second half the crowd was really quiet and i think that's what helped the offensive really get rolling was the crowd's quiet for you and then your JMU faithful is loud when when Jam, when apps on the field on offense, so I think that helped out a lot. Yeah, I mean, the JMU fans weren't loud enough to the fact to like disrupt. They did force a false start. I, yeah. I did credit them with a false start, but um, <laughs> but I think it did have to be sort of disconcerting for App State after playing three home games in that atmosphere. That by midway through the third quarter, their fans were shocked and silent. Yeah. And the JMU fans were making enough noise that it was noticeable. And to hear the JMU chant... We could hear it across the field. Yeah, I mean, even if that's not like, oh, my offensive line can't hear me calling the snap count, it's not that situation. But it has to be a little bit disconcerting to like be at home and then be hearing the JMU chant echoing through the stadium when an hour earlier everything was going your way and your crowd was going nuts exactly and as you know we heard the jamie guys talk about it too how they rate tots and tails he turns around looks up at that that section which was up in the the top deck turns around looks up and he was like dang like you know that's that's actually something special and he said he, he looked around once he looked out and he saw everyone in the offense was kind of looking up at it like wow and so i think you know that also helped them make the comeback because not only were they in a hostile environment they silenced the crowd but they also had a big support behind them too i think you know i don't know how many people were there they sold out their full summer allotment, whatever it was. It's probably, what, 200, 300 tickets? But they were loud. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say there's probably at least – there was probably at least a couple thousand JMU fans, like, throughout the stadium because they're scattered around, and then they had that whole section yeah. uh, full. We just gave JMU fans their credit for what they contributed to the game day atmosphere. But overall, we got, we got before we move on to Texas State, just have to talk about Boone, the game day atmosphere – Amazing place to go visit. If you're a JMU fan and you didn't get there this year, I would recommend going in a couple of years when they're back down in Boone because it's a great game day atmosphere. Their fans fill the stadium. They fill the entire town. Basically, the entire town was a tailgate party. And um, it was just, yeah, just an awesome place to visit. Their fans stayed in the seats um, even after they were up 28 to 3. Yeah. You know, a lot of JMU fans might not have seen that comeback if uh, that happened in, in Harrisonburg. So, um, yeah, I got to give them credit for an amazing game day atmosphere. Will we see something similar in Harrisonburg this weekend, or is the rain going to keep everybody away? Well, it seems like the rain's forecast is changing. It seems like it might be clearing up by game time, or at least a lighter rain, not something that's going to be a downpour like we'll see overnight. But I think, you know, I think we'll see a decent sized crowd. I think it's a sold out crowd, at least for the first half. If it's raining, I see a lot of people leaving at halftime. But if it's a decent day, I think we'll see people stay. Yeah. Um, I'm. Sort of wondering if there's already some of the crowd, some of the family day crowd trickling into town. I was driving in here. It's Thursday morning. It seemed like traffic was heavier coming down Main Street, getting to the office. I don't know if you uh, experienced that, or maybe it was just bad timing on my part. But it does seem like uh, we know it's a sold-out crowd. It does seem like it should be pretty intense at Bridgeforth on Saturday, given just the hype around Jamie right now. Jamie kind of stole all of uh, App State's national thunder with that victory. 
Um, they're getting the love now. Their fan base. If there was a bandwagon, people should be on it at this point for JMU. I'm thinking it should be a pretty fun, pretty fun day on Saturday, especially given the fact JMU is 22 and a half point favorite. I think I wasn't necessarily expecting JMU to ever be that big of a favorite um, in a Sun Belt game this year. Is that number legit in your mind? Is that will, will they be able to cover that spread? That's that's a big one to me. Depends on the Texas State team that we see. Depends on really their offense. Their defense is pretty solid. They'll be solid. They, they played Baylor pretty close in the first half, and then Baylor got going in the second half. Um, I think there's a possibility they could cover. I think JMU pulls the game out. I think they win by two scores. But I think there's a possibility they keep it a 14-point game. Yeah. Lane Hatcher seems to be a guy who's getting more comfortable in his surroundings there at Texas State. The the Bobcats quarterback who, who knows the Sun Belt, having – been well. a starter at Arkansas State. Maybe he doesn't know JMU so well, but this is a guy who knows how to play at this level. Um, he transfers to Texas State. Relatively slow start to the season with a you know difficult schedule, but um, he certainly seems to kind of get together against a lesser Houston Christian, not Baptist team <laughs> on Saturday since that school decided to change their name mid- midweek. What what's your just the kind of overall impression of Hatcher so far in a Texas State uniform? I mean, he threw the ball well against Houston, whatever we're calling them, Baptist or Christian? Christian, They're Christian, Christian, Christian now, not Baptist. Yes, but you know, he threw a pick early in the game, came back, threw four touchdowns, threw for a ton of yards. I mean, I thought he would win Sun Belt Player of the Week this week just because you know how many opportunities he's going to put up that those gaudy numbers. But Todd Santeo pulled it out for obvious reasons. But Hatcher is a proven commodity in the Sun Belt. He played well at Arkansas State, transfers to, you know, the quarterback extraordinaire of the Sun Belt and Jake Spavadol, who, for those of you that don't know, Coach Johnny Manziel at Texas A&M, helped recruit Kyler Murray to Texas A&M, helped recruit Kyle Allen to Texas A&M. Those two ended up leaving. But he still got them there. Yeah, you can go back a long way with Jake Spavadol's quarterback, Brandon Whedon at Oklahoma State, uh, Geno Geno Smith, West Virginia. The guy's been around a lot of good quarterbacks, and he seems to be doing a pretty good job um, with Lane Hatcher in particular. I know Texas State fans are probably – happy with the overall job he's done there but um quarterback wise with hatcher he seems to be doing pretty solid yeah i mean he's just a good quarterback coach i mean you guys think chris Nettie's a quarterback guy his <laughs> jake spavitol is also a quarterback guy but yeah i think Lane yeah. hatcher is you know a good thing his offense around him kind of shaky so we'll see what what offense shows up on saturday yeah will he get any help from the running game which jmu has completely shut down the running game in three games so far this year Hasn't necessarily been Texas State's strength. They have, like, one of the worst rushing attacks yeah. in the conference. So yeah, so. It's a tall task. Yeah. Well, I'll put it this way. GMU, what, they've given up a total of 84 yards on the ground this year? Something I think like that. that's where we're at officially at this point. Yeah, 84. Will they have given up more than 100 yards by the end of this week? That means my math isn't great, but that's 26 yards your spot in Texas State to get to 100. Yeah. Hmm. If the second half run defense from JMU shows up, they're definitely not hitting 100 total. Yeah. Which, to, to say that, four games into a season, which those are three FBS opponents, that's, that's kind of insane. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, Maybe even more impressive than the actual total is, now I don't remember the exact number, but it's one or maybe two yard two runs of 10 yards it's one they've they've allowed one run of 10 or more they're averaging one yard per carry and against 
against App State this weekend, I think 40 or 50% of their runs were either for one yard, zero yards or less. Yeah, <laughs> and that was after they were getting, you know, three, four, five yards a pop Pretty the first couple of drives, and then JMU just really buckled down there and took care of that. Um, okay, talk about Lane Hatcher. What's another name to know on this Texas State team? Yeah. Other than, you know, Seamus O'Kelly, which you wrote a great story about Ooh. Seamus and his brother Harry and how Harry wants to see Seamus play a lot this this week because it means Jamie's winning because they're punting. Harry's um, exact quote was something like, you know, he's <laughs> looking forward to seeing him kick because, one, he gets to see Seamus kick, and, two, they're punting, so everything works great. But for those of you wondering, Harry O'Kelly will be wearing purple, he confirmed to me, while his dad probably be wearing the, the brown and tan of, of Texas State. But, you know, Texas State defensively has got a set of brothers who are really good. You know, one's an outside linebacker, one's a defensive lineman. Both transfers from Louisiana Tech. They're really good, and I think, you know, that's going to be a starting point for Jamie's offensive line to really, you know, buckle down at. Yeah. Um, Jamie's offensive line has risen to the challenge so far this year. Were you surprised that maybe they weren't, other than that rough start with the uh, just missed assignments and mistakes, that they weren't challenged a little bit more by App State this week than they were? Yeah, I was kind of surprised. I would have thought App would rush more, like blitz a lot more than they ended up blitzing. I think they res- they respect Todd's and Taylor's passing game because you you bring the house, then he can throw it over the top. So I thought you know they might see a little more blitz. We saw blitz in the first half. They really didn't blitz much after that. You know when Jamie started making a comeback, and I was like, you know that's kind of interesting. And maybe they didn't like the man press coverage of defensive backs. I don't know. JMU plays defense like that, so maybe I'm just used to watching corners just taking a ride and then hoping they can they can beat their man but that was something that i was surprised by yeah yeah and it does seem like teams at least part of time are putting a spy on centeo knowing he what he can do with his legs and but he got around it yeah but that kind of takes the option at least of one person that's one guy who's not blitzing yeah anytime you're doing that and uh you know that that seems to kind of help jamu in that regard and that just entire dynamic that Todd brings to his offense, which, which Jamie fans have seen before, but didn't really have with Cole Johnson last year. Um, it, it is a, definitely an interesting thing. And, you know, I continue to go back to the offensive line. Looks young when you just glance at the depth chart and see freshmen and redshirt freshmen and sophomores like next to their names. But, like, I asked Kurt Signetti on, on uh, Tuesday – is these guys got extra games in a playoff run last year compared to, you know, say an FBS team that goes five and six, doesn't even get to do the extra work and practice getting ready for a bowl game. Yeah. These guys got a chance to kind of develop together that they might not have gotten if JMU was already FBS last year. I think that's kind of interesting to see how well they're playing together and how well they've meshed quickly despite being relatively young outside of Nick Kidwell. No, I agree. I mean, you've got a guy, you got you look at their line, it's basically sophomores, but they've played two or three years. Kidwell is obviously, you know, the veteran statesman of, of the group. But, yeah, as you said, sophomores. But this is the same group that played in all the playoff games together, so they got all those practices leading up to the games. And I think, you know, we're, we're starting to see the dividends of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Texas State, they're coming in here. They Like you mentioned, they've been up and down. Two and two now, couple of blowout victories against, you know, as we were kind of saying about GMU up until the App State game, 
blow out victories against bad teams, which is what we thought. I think it's but safe. But Middle to Tennessee a bad team? Yeah, but that, that might have been a mistake on ours and everyone else's part to lump Middle Tennessee State in with those bad teams. Um, and we can get back to that in a sec. But I think it's safe to say the teams that um, Texas State is beat up on actually are bad teams. Yeah. And we haven't seen much for them against solid competition so far this year. No, what we saw in the first half against Baylor, they kept it seventeen four or seven to fourteen to seven for a little bit, but then the wheels fell off. But that was about as competitive as we've seen them play. Yeah. Um do you think they'll keep it close early on in this one on Saturday? Or like similar to Baylor, or is JMU just got too much momentum going right now? Or is this as I've seen mentioned that I don't necessarily buy into, is this a trap game for JMU? I mean, I could see him keeping it close. Depending on the weather, I mean, I could see, like, a first quarter being 7-3, 10-7, 10-3. I could see Jamie pulling away. I see the first yeah. quarter could be a little rough going. I mean, Texas State first quarter is not great to begin with. They get, they, they start off slow. So, I mean, if Jamie jumps on that, then it would be a long day for the for the Bobcats. Yeah. Um, just go back to we talked about Middle Tennessee State and just what – how – Last Saturday kind of changed everybody's overall impression of JMU from being a team that beat up on overmatched opponents to all of a sudden having a victory, not only having a victory over App themselves, but Middle Tennessee going down to Miami and just really blasting the Hurricanes in Miami. And all of a sudden we were judging Middle Tennessee State so harshly on their lack of performance in Harrisonburg now, as I've seen pointed out, you go back to last season, they've won, I think, eight of their last 11 games, have been to a bowl game, won that. have won at Miami, um, have you know, basically won handily when they've won. Their real blemish is getting blown off the field by JMU. Is JMU that good? I guess. It's still early, and there's not a lot of data to um, compare, but everything we have looks very favorable for JMU right now. It does. I mean, you know, Middle Tennessee, they made it look like, I mean, that was, the game was over so quickly. But now Middle Tennessee goes out, plays Miami, beats them, and it's like, okay, what's happening here? Or is Miami not great? Who knows? But in other news, like, yeah, I mean, I think Jamie's, I think they're that good. I think they have a legitimate shot to win the title, the East title this year. Obviously, they can't yeah. play for the game, but the title game, but they can win the regular season title. Nothing's stopping them from that. Yeah, I'm, and I'm sure they'd like to put some sort of signage up. Uh, oh, they're definitely, they're they're definitely put a says, sign up. You know, Sunbelt East title. And we can get into that a little bit as far as, you know, it's early to talk about what happens if JMU continues to win. We know that they're right now not eligible for postseason, including Sunbelt Championship game, bowl game, any of that. Do you think there begins to be more of a call for, you know, a, a let them play type of like call nationally, certainly among JMU fans, if JMU continues to win and is sort of in that mix for the top group of five spot as the season goes on? Well, I, I read Chris Vanini got asked the same question. He, he reached out to the CFP and said, is JMU eligible for the playoff? No, they're not. So they could go 11-0 and not go anywhere, which unfortunately would suck for, for the team, but, you know, could they pull a UCF and say national champs? Probably. They they really could. I mean, they they would 
be opening themselves up to the same kind of ridicule cue that UCF got a few years ago. But it put UCF on the map. It, too. Yeah, it did um, definitely stand out. I don't know if they would claim national championships. If they did, though, we have to admit it would be as legit as a lot of national championships that a lot of big name programs claim from years past. Um, I know it's different now that there is an actual playoff that is somewhat open to everyone, but it will be interesting to see how JMU responds if the wins continue to pile up. I I think an undefeated season is um, an extreme long shot, but I think getting to the point where you're talking about eight, nine, ten wins seems a lot more likely than it did just a few weeks ago. Oh, I agree. I think you know the path is there, and, and they can go eight and three, nine and two, say even seven and four at this point. But I don't see. I mean, when you realistically look at the schedule, seven and four looks kind of looks kind of like that's you know you might can go past that and go up to eight and three. So I mean, we can see what happens. But right now, they're rolling. Yeah, and then that's right now they're looking to go four and zero oh, if they can beat Texas state this weekend which you're getting close enough you're two wins away from bowl eligibility that i think you know over the next couple of weeks the debate will certainly heat up and i don't know as much of a debate it's all decided jmu the outcry will begin yeah the system existed though that jmu knew they were getting into whether or not it makes sense to hold a transitioning team out of the postseason is another thing that's something I plan on getting into uh, in the paper at some point. But we, we can get into that debate a little bit more as we as we roll down the season. One or two more wins, then we really need to start talking about like what bowl eligibility might have meant for JMU this year. Um, but the Twitter account, Bowl Season, gave JMU the team of the week. Yeah. So the question is... Do they know something that we don't? No. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it'll, as, I think as JMU gets closer to that six-win mark which would typically represent bowl eligibility for a team. I think then that question is something that we need to ask, you know, Jamie officials, if they plan on doing any kind of like applications for waivers or anything like that. But it's important to keep in mind, they're already planning to ask for a waiver just to, to speed up the process. process so they can play in a bowl game next year. Um, you know, maybe you got to uh, balance out um, how greedy do you want to get? Yeah, do you, 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 you don't want to make people mad when you still have something else you need to ask for down the yeah. line, which the plan originally was to do that, I think, in December. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. If if JMU can play as well as it looks like they're capable of playing here throughout the season and start racking up a lot of victories. But that all begins with Texas State on Saturday. If JMU tries to stay unbeaten, the Bobcats in Harrisonburg, for family day probably see some of you out there at Bridgeport stadium on saturday but in the meantime thank you for listening to the purple and bold podcast from the daily news record i'm shane metlin been here once again with noah fleischman and we'll see you this weekend